Hello, hello, and welcome back to Yet Worth, the podcast. I am here with my sister and esteemed colleague, Emma Schmitz. Hello, everybody. And today we are thankfully moving off of the subject of long-term care. We needed a break. Uh, it's been crazy in, with Washington mm-hmm. and everything. So today we're going to bring it to you regarding the uh, the wonderful concept and vastly overlooked concept of critical illness insurance. All right, so let's start off by addressing what is CI? CI, critical illness coverage, is a lump sum benefit that pays the insured upon a diagnosis of a critical illness, such as cancer, stroke, or heart attack. And there's variation in what exactly is covered depending on the policy that the insured has chosen or the policy language. But typically, when shopping for CI, you can choose what conditions you'd like to have covered. For example, um, the insured has the option to cover just cancer or all three big critical illnesses, which is cancer, heart attack, and stroke. Right, right. And generally, when we're talking about critical illness coverage as a panacea, we're talking about that comprehensive type of coverage that covers all those and then some. And the then some category can sometimes include dementia or Alzheimer's, organ transplants uh, or organ failure in some cases, um, and, uh, and a variety of other things, paralysis, coma, et cetera. So um, there's usually like three categories is what we see typically in the marketplace here in the United States, where it's that cancer, it's that cardiac, heart attack or stroke, and then that kind of other category um, that, that comes into play. So it's really, it's really like a catastrophic coverage. Yeah. That's a good way to think of that third category. Good call. So, but really though, you know, what we're, what we're trying to address with this type of policy, it it could be twofold. And actually what the market looks like in the United States is, is generally going to be a smaller amount of CI that pays upon diagnosis so, but we're looking at like amounts of like 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, enough to just cover a deductible. That's really how it's used in the United States. It's sold on a group mm-hmm. basis in many cases, um, but the individual coverage, that's still kind of where the market play is uh, for a lot of people. And it's dirt cheap. It's like five bucks a month or something like that. So um, for those people who, or those agencies that have the systems in place to kind of automate that process, they're cleaning up in, in this field. Um, you know, very few people can, very few agents and agencies address it because it is such a, such a low cost type of insurance, but the need can be really profound for people. So where we actually see it more commonly is in this income replacement modalities, where you're looking at, um, you know, being out uh, due to chemo and radiation after cancer diagnosis, you're, you could miss work for a year or more. So when we're thinking about critical illness, we're generally talking about an income replacement strategy, one-time salary, two-time salary. You can purchase up to as much as half a million dollars of this lump sum coverage that pays upon diagnosis. And the reason we think about it more from an income replacement strategy is because that's exactly how it was intended when it was founded. The creator of critical illness, Dr. Marius Barnard uh, out of South Africa, was actually the first cardiac surgeon to successfully perform the world's first human to human heart transplant in 1967. And what he saw was, uh, you know, high success rate of his transplants and people surviving. But the problem was they needed a long time to recover. 
what he saw was that people needed some time to recover financially from these habit changes, these lifestyle changes and things like that. So Mm -hmm. that was the big reason for critical illness. It was designed as income replacement. So the fact that, you know, we're using it in the United States to just cover deductibles, I mean, speaks more to the uh, lack of quality, I think, in the United States healthcare system and where our deficiencies are. But um, really what is this? conversation. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We could talk <laughs> about that. But uh, but what as far as what critical illness was originally designed to do is to cover people's income. So that's why we like talking about it so much is because we like to protect people's future net worth, protecting incomes. We oftentimes, well, most of the time, we're always going to look at a DI solution first because it's more comprehensive, right? It's not a specific list of heart attack, cancer, stroke, um, kidney transplant, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's more about um, your ability to do your job. And so with that become, right. is this grayer area, right? Because then suddenly the question is, well, what are your substantial and material duties? And that's going to be different for a bricklayer and a CPA, right? Um, and then mm-hmm. the you know vast uh, catalog of occupations in between. So um, this is a lot more cut and dry, a lot more black and white in terms of the benefits, because you just need to show basically a diagnosis um, for cancer or, or, you know, full blockage heart attack. Um, and there's usually a little code in your medical chart that stipulates that that occurred. So it's really easy to, uh, to adjudicate a a CI claim compared to a DI claim. In fact, I'd love to see it get to a point where an algorithm could do it. Um, because that's really what Mm -hmm. it would come down to is like just a, you know, line of code that reads your chart and suddenly boom, payments are executed. That would be the future. (laughs) Um, But like you said, we always want to look to see if there's a need for disability income insurance first, because it's more comprehensive. Um, It's going to require underwriting. It's going to require occupational underwriting, financial underwriting, health underwriting. So when disability insurance won't work for somebody, for a specific client, because various reasons such as Um, maybe they're not employed or they're not employed for enough hours per week to be eligible for disability insurance, Um, or there's a declination or some sort of exclusion or modification that they they don't like, Um, we will look at critical illness coverage. And there are lots of benefits to critical illness coverage. For one, Um, As I just mentioned, there's no occupational or financial underwriting. There's no employment requirements. A lot of, you know, you can be unemployed. You don't need to be employed to get this coverage. Um, The benefits are easy to understand compared to DI. It's usually much more affordable. It's a lump sum benefit. So you get the cash, you know, right then and there. It's not a monthly payment that you have to wait for. And the benefits are tax-free, so you don't have to worry about taxation on that income. However, there are some disadvantages. And the the ones that I know of are that, you know, like we said, it's restricted to just what the policy covers. It's not as comprehensive as DI. So it's just the critical illnesses noted in the policy. And that's something you can look at in the policy to make sure you know what you're covered for. So what are some other things to remember if you're covered with CI? I think that's it. I mean, it it really is the fact that it's not as comprehensive, like the, you know, you're looking at 
a, a very specific list of conditions. Um, and as you mentioned, we both mentioned, I think the DI stuff is, it's just going to be based on your, your ability to do your duties as, as long as you're not working elsewhere. In most cases, that's the definition of disability. So, um, you know, you're, again, it, it's, it's much more targeted, but I think what a lot of people view at, you know, as a critical illness, that's what they're really projecting into the DI conversation anyways. So right. let me break mm-hmm. that down a little bit. So when you're, when you oftentimes when I'm talking to people in the field, you know, they'll kind of have this picture of disability in their mind. It's usually one of two things. One, you're walking across the street and you get flattened by a Mack truck and now you're in a coma for the rest of your life. Okay. Extremely rare. And then the other one is, is a cancer diagnosis. And I think that that's just so much more real to people because everybody knows somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer. People have different perceptions of what disability is. Cancer is kind seems to be one of those uh, that everybody's aware of. Everybody is familiar with intimately. Um, And, you know, and it's not just cancer either. I mean, you know, I think about it very specifically from where we're sitting too, you know, as kids of people who, um, one who did receive a CI benefit, um, our dad had a heart attack about six years ago. Um, And so he fortunately had this policy. In fact, I had him on the ropes, ready to buy this hundred thousand dollar policy. And he, you know, he got approved and everything came back, said, ah, let's just shake it down to 50,000. And I said, okay, whatever. And, you know, in a year or two, he has a heart attack. Um, and it pays out yeah. within two weeks. So that was really cool. Like just the, the speed at which it, it paid out. Um, you know, it really, the impinging point in that process was getting the records from the hospital to submit to the carrier. So that was, mm-hmm. that was the hold up there. Uh, it wasn't the carrier at all. They were really quick to process. And then our, our mom is the recipient of a new lung. So she's an organ transplant recipient and, um, you know, that means that she would have been eligible too, had I had the conviction to put a policy in on her as well. So that's really, you know, I mean, we're just two people and we, we both have the same parents, but you know, our parents both would have (laughs) been recipients of CI. Yeah. We both know people who have had, you know, two out of the small list of critical illnesses that a typical policy covers. And like you mentioned, most people know somebody who has had cancer I think a lot of people assume when they think of cancer or, or some sort of illness that is goes over a prolonged period of time, people who aren't very familiar with these products will think, oh, maybe long-term care insurance is something I need or something that person needs. And that's why we do these things. That's why we do these podcasts and, and create content to educate people on what each of these specific policies or products are for. Uh, Long-term care is pretty much like, you know, taking care of you when you're in your retirement years. And it's not healthcare, but it it is a type of healthcare, but it covers um, the things that Medicare doesn't cover because Medicare doesn't cover long-term care costs. Right. Right. In very limited uh, scope, do they cover long-term care? You got to be overnight in a hospital for three nights, um, not observation, and then be recovering. And then they'll cover the full amount of long-term care services for 20 days. 
and then some portion of long-term care services for up to 100 days. So just enough to get through the waiting period on most LTC policies. So it's Medicare effectively has no, no strong long-term care solution baked into it. And who knows, maybe we'll get to a point one day where it's, you know, Medicare part LTC, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, we just plug it in and it's part of that conversation and done. Although at age 65, when people are applying for all these med subs, you know, you've usually got some health conditions that are going to make long-term care more of a challenge uh, to obtain mm-hmm. at that stage of the game. So it's still very much a conversation that's rooted for people with about 10 years left in their working career, you know, 50, 55 Um, that's where we like having those conversations instead of waiting to age 65. And there we go again, talking about long-term care insurance. Why? Why? How did you Um, vote me into that? (laughs) So anyway, the point is that critical illness coverage is, doesn't act that way. It's a lump sum benefit and you receive that benefit upon diagnosis of one of the listed critical illnesses. You definitely want to get the coverage before you have the critical illness. That's, you know, that's how insurance works. (laughs) We may have talked about this at some point on the podcast already, but one thing Mm -hmm. that I really want to sort of help our audience understand is that insurance, you know, people want the, people always think about the claim process being difficult and the the adjudication and, you know, the premiums, oh my God, and these greedy insurance corporations. I just got to, I got to just try to level with people a little bit on this because the way, at least with some of the, most of the carriers that we're working with, it's a little bit different. You're prepaying into this big community pot. Think about it like that for a second, where you're essentially putting your resources in small margin of your resources, 100, 200 bucks a month into, let's just call it a disability, or even let, let's use the CI example here. So you're paying 50 to hundred bucks a month for a critical illness policy in most cases. And, you know, thousands of people are paying into that system. And then when your card is called and you have a cancer diagnosis, you're, you're going to have that benefit accessible to you. And it's really as, as simple as a line as a line in your medical chart that that includes the payout. So this is fundamentally a different type of insurance than like a like even a health insurance scenario where they're going to try to nickel and dime everything and negotiate with the mm-hmm. hospital. And I mean the hospital is at you know let's let's not make <laughs> let's not portray them as these angelic you know hospitals that are saving lives all the time too because they're in it for the money play as well, right? So mm-hmm. they're making it just as difficult as the health insurance company is. Let's be totally frank about that. And then, but the CI stuff is a little bit different because it's not going to the hospital. They're not sent submitting any bills or receipts or anything like that. This is just the pool that people are paying into. And so by prepaying for that, it's almost like crowdfunding, but ahead of time, right? So everybody's just paying a little bit into the system. And then whenever somebody had, experiences a moment of need, I mean, we're talking about a serious moment of need for most families. This isn't just some, you know, who can extract the benefit. These are, these are people who have suffered heart, you know, heart attacks, strokes, you know, serious cancer diagnoses and, and um, you know, a variety of other conditions that, and they need this money in many cases. So that's what it's for. It's not really about the greedy corporation um, and in fact, if you look at the loss ratios, at least in the DI space, you know, I was looking at one the other day, the loss ratio is 75% in California. So that means for every dollar that you're paying into your, 
into your into the pot with your premium dollars, they're paying out 75 cents to somebody in need to keep a roof over their heads, to provide food for their family. So yeah, no, don't yeah. feel bad about paying those premiums because you're actually helping to lift the pool for the people who are most in need. So that's just the mm-hmm. way I want people to start thinking about insurance. That's the way I think about it now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, health insurance is a little bit different. Yeah, no, I mean, we have so many other different lines of insurance that we don't hesitate to obtain right. or pay the premiums for. And if you have, this is why we do this to educate people on who might need this and, and why and how it can benefit you. But not dependent on, on just, you know, the people and the policyholders and the premium payers and, and all that for thinking about it incorrectly. The carriers have got to take a lot of blame too, because they're not actively posting what their medical loss mm-hmm. ratios are or what their loss ratios are if they're not in the medical line of coverage. So it's a different world out there. We're all looking to, I think, impose more good into the world. Like that's really the goal of our agency of, you know, our own directive, our own purpose in our lives is, is to, you know, bring a more good, more simplicity, more ease of access and, and, and really powerful, impactful benefits to people to keep them afloat financially and protect their future net worth. So knowing that that's the goal and that, actually a lot of these carriers are in alignment with us too. You know, they could sell a variety of other things and a lot of them do. Um, but the people who are in the DI department or the long-term care department or the CI department, from my experience, there's a lot of compassion in those fields and, and people are in there because they feel like they're making an impact in people's lives. So not to get too woo or gushy or anything like that, but there's, there's really a lot more under the surface here than just a premium and a benefit. It, this is about helping people um, fundamentally at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. That's something that I understand more and more every day. You know, I'm a counterculture kind of punk rock hipster and <laughs> in the mountains, um, I in the mountains <laughs> and I was so anti insurance industry for so long and now I'm in it and I'm starting to love it more and more each day. The more I get involved with actually face-to-face helping people. Ultimately, that's what we all want to do, right? That's we all the... want to help other people. Right? Amen. That's why <laughs> I mean, most of the people, if not all that I meet, that's why they enter this business is, you know, yes, the money can be good as well, but the really the fundamental reason why people stay in this business is because of the impact that it creates in their clients' lives. And, and that's, that's what we want to accomplish. And that's where I feel like CI really is one of the, one of the more um, impactful benefits, you know, where we don't have to like harangue and adjudicate and, and kind of like lobby our way into a benefit, like, you, you know, which happens sometimes on the DI side. It's, you know, you see people who are, who are really trying to extract and it sometimes it's because that it's, it comes out of desperation, right? So we want to be able to provide a benefit that's clear cut, black and white, um, diagnosed or not diagnosed and pays a substantial benefit that will help give people some breathing room during their recovery process. That's what CI does. It meets all those criteria. Um, so think about it next time you're talking to your clients. I mean, if they've got a big deductible, start there. Um, if they're thinking mm-hmm. about income replacement, you know, pair it with the DI, um, yeah. maybe help them cover the elimination period, the waiting period on the DI policy. I mean, that's a really common play uh, for these, yeah. 
for these critical illness cases too. You know, if their benefits 10,000 a month, put another $30,000 of CI to tide them over for the waiting period if they meet one of the conditions there. I think we'll leave it at that today. Thank you guys for listening. I know this is probably something uh, you're not thinking about a lot. So appreciate your attention through, uh, through this time. And I hope that you can start maybe identifying a few more opportunities to help your clients with their critical illness needs down the road. Hit us up.